Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was I Stand Alone from Robert Glasper. Great way to start the programme this morning. Good morning, this is me, Elliot Moss, on Jazz FM with Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business. My business shaper today is Richard Cohen. He's the founder and CEO of Love Live, which is a music, media and digital rights company, so he tells me. You'll be hearing lots from him very shortly. In addition to hearing from Richard, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, and quite aptly in terms of my guests, some great music from the Shapers of Jazz, Soul and Blues, including Madeline Peru, Donald Bird, and this from John Lee Hooker. That was Boogie Chillin' from John Lee Hooker. Richard Cohn is my business shaper today, and as I said, he is the founder and CEO of Love Live. I'm going to let him actually tell us what Love Live really does, because I've, ex- I've said it's about music, media, and digital rights, but what is Love Live, Richard, and thank you for joining me. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, Love Live is, uh, as you've described aptly, it is a music, media, and a digital rights business, and principally it's about creating the highest quality uh, live music video content and making that available to um, underserved audiences, really. And who are underserved audiences? Just give me a flavour. Well, I think anybody who can't make it to the live gigs themselves. I think live music is so emotive and it's such a strong passion point that um, some of the best gigs you'll never see, you're not seeing because they've not been filmed. And so the ability to access something and to experience that often socially even when online and along with your friends, is compelling to people who are passionate about music and wouldn't otherwise have access to the live performances. I mean, I'm just thinking back to a very, a, a very personal thing, which is I've never been to Glastonbury, but I watch Glastonbury on television and I get really excited. Is it simply capturing that basic, visceral feeling that someone has for live music, but when you can't actually see it? Is it, is it nothing more than that, but then you've got to do a whole bunch of clever stuff to make sure it's easy for those people to, to get hold of that experience? I think that's incredibly well put, and I think that is a large part of it. Uh, but I think it does go beyond because there are a variety of experiences. Uh, one of them is the visceral experience, as you've suggested, and that is sort of the live event itself. Uh, but in, in our experience, often the content which is the most cost-effective to capture is actually uh, seen as having the highest perceived value in the eyes of the fans. And that's about uh, insight and access and ensuring that they can get really to, to sort of have a glimpse, if you will, into the world of the artists they love and are following. So if it's uh, being in the green room or if it's a format we created with just three minutes before the artist goes on stage, if it's an acoustic track or it's watching them prepare, if it's the rituals that surround the performance, I think there's a great deal to, to, to be enjoyed 
from the performance and equally from everything that goes into making the performance. Now, what you just described is is kind of the, as you said, the insight into the world and the the access all areas card that you've got from a filmic point of view, and and then how you share that with with different audiences. That's pretty complex stuff, I imagine, to actually deliver. And I just want to talk for a moment about. And we'll come to your past and how you arrive to be the guy who happens to be pulling all these things together. But there's a world of broadcasters in there. There's a world of music in there. There's a world of rights in there. There's some brands thrown in. There's a label thing. There's high quality programming. That's a super smorgasbord of stuff. Tell me about how you've come to be able to be the guy who's a bit of a ringmaster in pulling together and making look simple, pulling together all those different strands. It's very gracious of you to say, and I, I would agree. And frankly, if I'd known quite how complex it was to begin you with, you wouldn't have done it. Would I'm you? not sure that I would have started in the first place. Um, it, we, we actually talk about that quite a lot. That it's really Love Live's position to simplify for all of the constituents in the value chain what is effectively an incredibly complex process. And there are constituents from the brands who have got the money to spend to the artists who are creating the music and then the rights holders in their various forms, the labels who own the master recording, the repertoire, the publishers who ultimately hold rights as well. And bringing all of these people often with divergent agendas together in a fashion which is helpful for everybody and creates value, it has been a challenge. Uh, one that I've thoroughly enjoyed and, and one uh, where I believe we've been incredibly successful and had good fortune. Um, I think it starts from a position of integrity, whereas Love Live, we like to sort of see ourselves as fair trade music. And our starting point was to ensure that all of those constituents see value and get paid. And so I think that's been critical to our success and the support that we've had from these same constituents, where ultimately it would have been very easy as a very small business uh, for anyone or all of them to have uh, just killed it dead because we don't get everything right all the time. And when you're innovating, you're ultimately going to have to be doing things which are new and therefore less well polished. And so it, it really was getting everybody on side and having them understand that we were here to serve, that we were truly passionate about what we were doing, that we were going to do it to the highest standards possible, and that we were going to get it wrong some of the time along the way. But always it was operated under the banner of uh, fair, honourable and equitable. And I think that's really seen us through some, some challenging times. And uh, over the term, uh, with the quality work we've done and the value that we can deliver, um, I feel that it's brought everybody on side. Find out much more from my business shaper, Richard Cohn, as we explore the intricate world that he seems to have adopted and adopted. Time for some music, though. This is Etta James, and I'd rather go blind. <laughs> was the seminal Etta James with I'd Rather Go Blind. Makes the point about music that really touches you. Richard Cohen's my business shaper. He's been talking about what love live is um, and how, as you said, Richard, you take a very complex ecosystem around the world of music and around the world of film and rights owners and so on, and you serve it up in a simple way, which just says me listening and watching is going to love it. And, and as you talked about equitability, all sorts of interesting things were occurring to me. You've done all sorts of stuff, and I think that's what I, I alluded to very briefly. To get to the point where you can bring together all those different people um, is not just, you know, it's not one craft skill, it's many. 
What do you think over the course of your career, and, you, and you've been involved in film businesses and you've been involved in music business and so on, what do you think have been the most influential moments, the inflection points where you've gone, okay, I just learned something which is going to affect now the way I am going forward and what I really want out of my working life? Um, wow, that's a really big question. There's been so many people, so many influencers and so many points. Um, I have to say that, that adversity, challenge. Um, somebody said to me once that uh, anxiety is uh, nothing but the fear and trepidation of events never likely to occur. And that really appealed to me because, you know, as an entrepreneur starting new businesses, um, I could think of 10 good reasons as to why not to set up a new business for every one reason why you should. And I guess um, this is why people suggest that uh, uh, they talk about civilians and entrepreneurs, that when when civilians are effectively asking uh, why, entrepreneurs are asking why not. Tell me a little bit about the few businesses, because you, you've bought and sold companies, you've set them up, you have yes. been CEO. Tell me about just a few of those highlights across the years before Love Live was born. So for me, it's always been, I, I'm a sales guy through and through. You know, the one thing that I've always done better than anything else is consultative B2B sales. It's not terribly sexy. Business to business. Very much so. And it's always been uh, the convergence between uh, media content, which I love and passionate about, and enabling technology. And so in, in bringing these together, uh, one of the first businesses that really excited me and really did highlight that conversion or what really, I guess, kicked me off on this path, it was a company called ImageNet, which we subsequently sold to Getty Images. And, and that was a great business. It was such an obvious thing to do when people in film studios and record labels were still making physical dupes of uh, publicity and marketing images, putting them in FedEx boxes and envelopes and shipping them all over the world. This was a central digital hub where all of these assets were made available in a central source where people would log in and download. And it just made so much sense on so many levels. And I became hooked. And from that point, it was really about enabling technology and media content, how to do things better, how to optimize. And it went from there uh, to Framestore CFC, which was a, a, a was and is a fascinating company. Now world famous, of course, for being the people behind Gravity. Uh, not, not so famous back then, unless you, know, you worked in advertising, obviously. You know, walking with dinosaurs saw them, uh, yeah. you know, with some, some degree of renown. Well, that's true. And, uh, you know, th- they were a fantastic company and are. Yeah. And they'd sought to develop a, a digital platform, which also was distributing uh, high quality video digitally for review and approval processes in between the producers, the brands, the directors, the broadcasters. And it was very similar to the efficiencies that we developed at ImageNet. And so I really did uh, become hooked, in effect, about this process of optimization and using technology not for its own sake, but for the betterment of, um, well, media and media content generally. And from there, the real kind of big leap for me was uh, having the good fortune uh, to join Perform Group. I, I was a shareholder and on their board of directors. And obviously the success there was uh, meteoric. Uh, the company went from being incredibly small to now being a, a billion-dollar listed entity on the London Stock Exchange. Um, and really all I've done since leaving Perform Group is seek to uh, shamelessly replicate the best practices that we established there for sport and apply them where relevant and where possible to music. Very good stuff. Much more coming up from Richard Coe, my business shaper. Latest travel in a couple of minutes. And before that, some words of wisdom for your business from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Hi, my name is Andrew Goldstone and I'm a partner in the tax group at Mishkondorea. A lot of entrepreneurs ask me in all this debate about tax avoidance, is there actually anything out there that will help me or my business? Well... 
The answer is yes. There are loads of entirely legitimate tax reliefs just waiting to be used. Tax reliefs which the government specifically introduced to encourage entrepreneurs and those who invest in them. Take the Enterprise Investment Scheme and its baby brother, Seed EIS. Both offer really generous tax reliefs for business angels. And if you're an entrepreneur hoping to raise money from the angel community, you absolutely have to structure your business so that your potential investors can get the relief. Because if you don't, they'll go elsewhere. Then there's the EMI scheme, a very tax-efficient employee share scheme aimed at attracting and keeping your best staff. And we have Entrepreneurs' Relief, which can offer you a reduced 10% capital gains tax rate when you eventually sell your business. But there are conditions and you do need to plan ahead. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning, you can catch me talking to a brilliant business shaper. And my business shaper this morning is also brilliant. He's called Richard Cohen, and he's the CEO and founder of Love Live, which is a music, media, and digital rights company. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But you know what I mean if you've been listening so far. Um, Richard, beyond the amazing things that you've been involved with, you've done, uh, and I suppose part of those things, is that you've, you've, you've done deals, you've raised money, things that people listening will go... How did that happen? Give me Richard Cohen's number one tip when it comes to negotiating a price for a business. Um, Well, that's another big question. Uh, I think it's really about searching for uh, value on both sides. I I really do govern all of my business principles on the basis of what is fair, honourable and equitable. And I think that if you keep your eye on the prize, which for me is long-term and sustainable value, um, then there's really only one way to negotiate. There's tons of tactical approaches that one might take. But ultimately, if you've got a principle that governs your approach and that underpins everything, I think it keeps it simple. I think Mm -hmm. people learn to respect and appreciate that. And I think, you you know, leaving goodwill on the table is very important. You can't expect to win everything all the time and you have to ensure that the other side is seeing value. Otherwise, you simply need to go back to the beginning and try again. And I imagine the same is true of people investing in you. How to attract an investor is all about ensuring that what they're getting is fair, equitable, and I think you honourable and honourable as well. Is that probably true? I think that's exactly right. It really is in all dealings, frankly, whether it's people you're uh, taking investment from, people you're recruiting, uh, people you want to be in partnership with. I think it really does have to be a guiding principle across all of it. Now, your business has grown and you have offices here. You have offices other side of the Atlantic. What's it like... You, as you start up another business and you grow and you, you you hire people over across the other side of the pond, do you still enjoy the fundamentals of what you're doing or does it become more about managing a business? It's, it's a really good question. I was talking about that just uh, earlier today. Uh, from my perspective, it, it is a privilege, a thrill and a joy. I, I genuinely love what it is that I do and I have many examples. But the easiest way to articulate that is that I work in an environment of my choosing, absolutely. I work with the people who have ultimately been handpicked and so they're people uh, whom I love and respect and I get to surround myself with creative, talented, innovative people working with subject matter that I absolutely adore. I genuinely couldn't imagine what else I would be doing. Well, well, there you go. He sounds pretty happy. (laughs) Richard, stay with me. You're going to hear lots more hopefully uplifting stuff just like that. Time for some brilliant music along with my brilliant business show today. This is Donald Burb, one of my personal favourites and it's Falling Like Dominoes. Thank you. 
That was Donald Bird and Falling Light Dominoes. Richard Cohen is my business shaper today, the CEO and founder of Love Live. Richard, when you talk, you talk a lot about the values and the principles that you uphold as personally important and professionally important. My sense is that those are what govern you and that money is secondary and that money is a byproduct. Is that a fair thing to say? It's entirely accurate. And I don't take this for granted or say it flippantly, but, but making money has never really been my objective. It's always been a byproduct of doing what it is I enjoy, first and foremost. And I know that it's uh, possibly trite to, to say that you know life really is short and that we get our one go. But I've got two young children. And when I had my first, my boy, Adam, who's seven, it was remarkable because I recognized for the first time that I'm no longer the most important person in my own life. And it was just brilliant at resetting all of my priorities and my approach, and especially to business, because that's where I spend so much of my time. And beyond the values that drive you, and as you said, becoming the not the most important person in your own life, what else drives you? What else is pushing you to create this company which has you know clients including, as I understand it, Ford, HP, Telefonica, Spotify, BT, you're on platforms including The Guardian, Time Out, and, and various other places. What is it that you want to do next? What's the legacy of the kind of work that you're doing now? Um, I mean, another really interesting question and one that I challenge myself and my team with um, daily, literally daily. Um, I think it is creating value and sustainability and about uh, being enablers. So as we grow, we're having the good fortune right now to be growing incredibly rapidly. And I think that that growth for its own sake has little value to me. I think our ability to help with the discovery process, unearthing talent, providing them on the platform and promoting said talent. I mean, going back to the beginning, I obviously should have been a rock star, <laughs> save for the fact that I can't sing or play a lick. And so for me, you know, being in this environment, the stardust sprinkles just far enough to give me a light dusting. And I do get to be very close to the creativity and to the creation itself. And I think for me to be able to sort of elevate and amplify that, uh, that really always has been the goal. And that's what we'd like to continue doing. We'll have our final chat with Richard Plus play a track from Shaper of Jazz, Madeline Peru. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Madeline Peru and Dance Me to the End of Love. My final few minutes now with Richard Cohen are going to ensue and I hope I can extract even more from him. You've talked all sorts of, about all sorts of things, Richard. What strikes me is that you're passionate about music, you love technology and you kind of found a way to follow your passion and make money in an honourable way. I mean, it's, it's almost perfect. Going forward, it sounds like it's going to be more of the same. How does one continue to do more of the same when everything around you is changing? Um, I have the good fortune, again, to not feel that what I'm doing every day is the same. I think no two days are the same. And the, the range and scope of my responsibilities and the breadth of what we're actually tackling it is so immense. that The diversity is there for me all the time. And so continuing as we are, uh, I believe that the challenges that I'll face moving forward are, are going to be, you know, sometimes similar, but often very different. 
and running a company that has, you know, 100 people is different from starting up a company that's only got a handful. And then when you get to the point where you've got many more and you're trading globally and uh, you've got to address uh, challenges and how to ensure that you maintain standards whilst at the same time wishing to scale quite dramatically, um, I'm looking forward. Uh, we're in the process of going out to raise our first institutional round of, of finance. Uh, and that's always fun. It's always interesting. Uh, but it does uh, have a very different dynamic to running the business in the way that we had done organically and more in a bootstrapped fashion. And now all of a sudden we've got to contemplate kind of the use of proceeds on how we're going to go and spend a great deal of money. And it's interesting, I've done it a number of times before, and every time you're stuck between how do I ensure that I'm actually using it and deploying it, because investors don't make it available in order for it to sit in the bank. At the same time, you want to make sure that you adhere to standards and don't rush out there and start deploying money in such a manner as to... uh, really uh, entered upon the original vision. The interesting thing also, I think, about your business is that a lot of people listening will be recipients of it without even knowing that it was you behind them or behind behind the output. When you're in a business that is essentially plumbing, on the one hand, is it hard to explain to your friends and family what it is that you actually do? And does that matter? Or is it more important you just go, this is Richard, he's obviously a bright guy uh, and he's doing some interesting things and you just stop there? Because sometimes it strikes me that people define themselves, whether it's their own business or not, by the ability of someone else to understand what it is that they do. It shouldn't matter, but it does. Uh, I'm quite a proud person. In fact, it would be easier if you were the rock star that you thought you'd be. Indeed. You just go, what do you do, Richard? I'm a rock star. You know, a one-word answer would be fantastic. It um, <laughs> it, it shouldn't matter, but it does. And uh, to address that specifically, we've started launching a variety of direct consumer products to uh, increase my visibility. And your, your ability at dinner tables <laughs> to tell people what it is that you do. Yeah, you go, no, Have you seen that? It, exactly. No, no. It, 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 it's fine for me to be behind the scenes. I, I, I actually quite enjoy that. And, and to be able to be the, the guy that provides the stage for those that really should be front of camera, uh, I really am delighted with my position behind it. And in terms of like, you know, people coming through who are digital, natives, and I'm talking about my children, probably both Ella and Adam, your children, who will be uh, digital natives as well, who are digital natives. You know, when when kids say, I love music and technology, and that's what I'm going to do, that surely is the shape of the new world, which is not going to be new to them. It's just what's going to happen. Do you envisage in 15, 20 years time that there will be many, many companies trying to deliver what you deliver today versus a handful of companies that are doing it well? I really hope so. I mean, we and how do you and- encourage them? I mean, how will you encourage those people to actually set up those own, their own businesses? What advice would you give to, to those people who aren't even yet ready to, to create their own business? What are they going to have to look out for? So I, I, I believe that, that we all thrive on competition. Um, I, I welcome it because ultimately the more people doing what it is that we do, it educates the market and it provides validation to the market. And therefore, I no longer have to sell something for 100 I just have to be able to prove that what it is that I'm proposing is worth however many pennies more than the other guys doing something similar. And so uh, Digital Natives, it's hysterical because uh, you'd mentioned Adam and Ella, thanks. They're seven and four. And my four-year-old daughter, uh, when we're turning on the television to look for maybe one of the apps that we've created on Smart TV, she'll suggest to, uh, to, to her brother that he shouldn't be looking on that on Apple TV. That's on Netflix or that's on the other app. Uh, and she's four years old. So they really do have a completely different take on the world. Fantastic stuff, and let's hope they go on and do amazing things too. Uh, Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, Gil Scott Heron and The Bottle. Um, I I saw uh, Gil Scott Heron playing in a dive bar in New York many, many years ago. I've been a fan for an incredibly long time. And for me, it sums up life. It's the most beautiful lyrical song that one will ever hear. 
and you really have to stop and focus and pay attention to the fact that it's also one of the saddest. Richard, thank you very much for being my business shaper. This is your choice. It is Gil Scott Heron and the brilliant The Bottle. That was The Bottle from Gil Scott Heron, the song choice of my business shape today, Richard Cohen. Very intelligent, surrounding himself with smart people, totally values-driven, and someone who absolutely is passionate about the music business and the interface with technology. Fantastic stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place, for another edition of Jazz Shapers. That's Saturday, 9am. In the meantime, stay with us. Coming up next here on Jazz FM, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business but it's personal.